Hello and welcome to Say That Podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host in the city of Chicago. Join me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. Let's get stuck in. It's pretty old school. Huh? That's uh, that's British, so it can't be dirty. I see. That has not been my experience with the British people, but okay. Okay. Also joining us, Jed Bruther, director of Mission USA Productions. Let wisdom ring. <laughs> joining us all the way from Mercury, Tennessee, one of the pastor Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. I like the British people, Matt. Yeah, Matt. I do too. Their vulgarity is one of the things I like about them most. <laughs> well, uh, we join you after a week of having all been in the same physical space. Ooh, That's true. Yes. does happen a couple times a year. Lee brought uh, the youth up from, from Triple C down there, and they did a fantastic job being a host team at the bridge. If you're not familiar, our bridge service, we have a, a team every week that comes in and helps greet and serves the meal and does a great job. Um, often it's a, most time it's a local church that comes in and helps us out, but a couple times a year we'll have folks come from Tennessee and we'll, we occasionally have groups from far flung lands such as Sweden and Norway and Switzerland. Switzerland. It's a bit of a culture shock Absolutely. for all of those people, but yeah. they'll do a lovely job mainly because Jed's wife does a fantastic job inspiring them, instructing them, Terrifying them. Sure. Whatever it does. Some people were making fun of the Swiss because of their cheese. You did that. I don't I don't remember. They you, you ever wondered if the Swiss find Swiss cheese jokes funny? We have at least one data point that says they do not. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing we can tell you about the Swiss people based on that evening at the bridge is they are not familiar with the idiom skeletons in your closet. That's yes. true. Yes. As Glenn said, I mean we've all got skeletons in our closet. And these people look terrified. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what kind of voodoo are these people on? But that leads to recounting, and for which I must declare an emergency. Ooh. Oh, wow. Because not only did we have the, tr- the children up here over a normal uh, bridge week, right. we had them here for the 4th of July. Ah. Oh. It's a freedom emergency. Oh, wow. I love freedom. Go on. Because as we know, with this, this podcast goes out to, to many far-flung lands. Right. Um, I feel that it's, it's important on us as cultural ambassadors for the United States of America, which I consider us, Yeah, um, for better or worse, but you know, comparatively, worse. probably better, um, to let the people know what that means. Because you yeah. know, maybe if you see the fireworks, right. you think, but what, what's this holiday all about? It seems like just yahoos running around blowing up parts of the country they claim to love. And it's definitely that, but it's also much more. Ah. <laughs> For example, uh, sometimes if you're in downtown Chicago and it's 100 degrees, it's about just setting off fireworks in the middle of the busiest street huh. in the third largest city in America. And when the cops show up, firing Roman candles at their vehicles. Wow. <laughs> That's the <laughs> thing Lee true. and I saw momentarily as, I tur- as we turned to walk away from that very quickly. And when the kids asked, where are we going? The answer was, don't worry about it. Yeah, not here. Because I don't know. Here. We're going to be not here. That's right. <laughs> but uh, so Lee and I were down down uh, town in Chicago with the children. Yeah, engaging in uh, you know a gross display of commerce, hmm. being incredibly uncomfortable, which is pretty American. With your filthy lucre. That's right. Uh, Glenn and Jed, how did, how did you celebrate the the birth of our great country? Well, uh, prayerfully. Yeah, prayerfully. I've seen the pictures, so. Was that kiddie pool like a uh, an important aid to prayer? <laughs> it was. Uh, we had the kiddie pool in the backyard. Uh, it 
served as a sort of a baptismal font, if you will. Absolutely. And uh, we had a very, uh, you know, uh, enjoyable time. We had fellowship. Fellowship. That's what happened. By fellowship, do you mean uh, group complaining? In part. I I don't know if I remember that. Mostly we were just rejoicing. Sure, sure. So maybe you got together a lovely place amongst friends in in our fantastically blessed lives. And just kind of griped about the minor things you don't like about it. it and is that not the true spirit of America? It, yes. It could be nothing more American than we don't want to be part of your thing, you know. Yeah. And then, because here's what... So you're here, saying the kiddie pool is your own Boston Tea Party. In yes, way. exactly. Because right. here's what it is. <laughs> Up north, they have what you call Canada Day, which yes, we just had Canada Day. You guys didn't even care. Sure. Nah. Okay. Here's what... Here's what they celebrated on Canada Day. Canada? Canada. Okay. Well, oh, so it's not just a clever right. name. <laughs> because it's like they were like, uh, you know, because they didn't like fight a glorious war to get their independence. Sure. One day, like somebody was like, do we still have that? And they're like, I don't know. Sure. And then, boom, country, you know. So uh, that's Canada. Okay. Cinco de Mayo is what they do to the south of us. Right. This is true. Which is basically celebrating jabbing French people with pitchforks. Now, I'm all for, you know, but to <laughs> me, that, that seems a little wrong. But, you know. But, and yet, oh, so right. It, you know, it, it, however you do your thing. But when you think about that. Right. You know, you got your, your, your guy Fox in the, in the England. Right. Sure. Gunpowder plot, et yeah. cetera. Fireworks. I don't think they're technically celebrating that, but go ahead. Well, that's a that's the thing. You know, they're like, "Yay, this is a great idea. Let's blow some stuff up and be Catholic." So, I don't know. I don't understand how. But when you consider these churches are really struggling for phrases to bring in the youth. <laughs> so, so when you think about it that way, me and Chad in the kiddie pool in the backyard doesn't seem so bad. Well, I'll tell you how in my own heart I celebrated. Uh, in, in the Independence Day, and I think it was, I did a great honor to America. I did it by being um, unthinkingly and incredibly embarrassingly boorish. Ooh. Oh, that's American. Wow. So it, it, in, a, in a foreign land, in a way. Okay. Uh, Lee and I are with the kids. We got a, a group of 11 people. So at like dinner time on a holiday in sh- downtown Chicago, Dinner reservations are a bit tough to come by. Sure. There's a place we normally go that's like kind of a, a f- upscale food courtish thing at this at this uh, very uh, popular mall in Chicago called Water Tower Place. That as we were walking up, we found out that they just shut that mall down. We don't know why. Still don't know okay. what happened there. It probably wasn't great. Okay. So we yeah, uh, basically everything was closed. Yeah, just happy Freedom a, Day. Enough people open. declaring we don't want to be here. Right. To give you give one pause yeah. if one was in that area. So we go to a couple places, and finally we're placed, and I remember, we have a deacon at the bridge that you guys, uh, we may have talked about her, Deacon George, yeah. who's a chef at a place called Italy, yeah, which is a big, multi-story Italian market-slash-restaurant in downtown Chicago. I've been, I've been there before to see George. It's a fantastic place. Food is good. Critically, while you have a very long wait, which every restaurant in the city did, there are things to see and do and eat. Okay. You can get some ice cream while you're waiting, and how every restaurant in the world has not adopted that, I don't know. Pretty fancy. But they're on it. So we're in, a, we're in a, a place celebrating culture, a culture other than our own. Yeah. 
and I proceed to be a hilariously awful American, totally unthinkingly, in these two ways. One, <laughs> as we got the, made the reservation, going to, you know, okay, there's a the little gelato stand, and I, big fan. So I'm going to the line, and you can order. And it's it's fancy place. They want to, they had one of the things where it's like, everything's in Italian, and there's the English translation next to it, but you know. And I am just kind of not thinking, pretty tired. It's been 100 degrees all day, a little baked by the sun. Say, uh, yeah, can I get a small, uh, and I'm halfway through saying the Ital- reading the Italian word for strawberry before I realized the word strawberry is just next to it. And <laughs> did I do it with a little bit of the accent unthinkingly because I heard that word? Yeah. <laughs> Frago, oh, strawberry? Strawberry. <laughs> Pretty much. <Yes>. Yeah. <laughs> like if I just held up my fingers in the Chef Boyardee pose and yelled yeah. spaghetti, yeah. wouldn't have been any less awful. Right. And bless her, I realize that I shrink into myself. And instead of offering words of comfort, which wouldn't would have fallen on deaf ears, the one at the counter just goes, Oh. (laughs) (laughs) And then after that podcast stuff goes, Oh. It's okay. Yeah. And that was really rough. And I think it's over. I've embarrassed myself. I've embarrassed my You've shown yourself to be a bumpkin. No doubt a, about a rube, it. rube, if you will. Yeah, trying to read your fancy <laughs> ice cream words. Yeah. Then we get to the part where I, they call us finally for, for dinner. We're going to sit down. And I realized that, uh, you know, when they asked me, you know, here, number, they say, what's a name for the for the reservation? And I had given them my last name, as I think often happens in that situation. Sure. Um, as we go to the uh, the place, they're calling out the names. And it, occur- it occurs to me, hearing a lot of first names here. So as we're getting our table ready, I kind of look down at the little sheet, and I realized that everyone else, in a very kind of casual, just being cool way, had given their first name. So you read down the list, it's, can we have a name for the order? And these are the answers they got in sequence. Jack, Alan, Karen, King. <laughs> That's <fair. laughs> and man, yeah. was that a rough thing to swallow. Yeah. Somebody thinks quite a bit about himself. That's right. Now, however, <laughs> I did not do the most American thing. Okay. That has happened <laughs> in this run on one of these trips. I will uh That's true. I will start the story. I think Lee might jump in to add uh, some color. At some I love this story. Happy to. So not this trip, not the fourth of July, but definitely sell- keeping the spirit of the fourth of July in his heart. A friend of ours who shall remain nameless for a very good reason. <laughs> Um, where we, this is a previous trip. This was, they were here in April, I guess you guys were up here, Lee. Yeah. Something like that. Something like that. Sometime in the spring, uh, a bunch of folks came up to Triple C, help us out. They did some, some uh, construction work on Glenn and Jane's house and really, really helps out. So we're, we're downtown. We're going up to, there's a, there's a place you can go to a big building in Chicago called the Hancock tower. You can go to the 94th floor of that. They have a little uh, lounge there. You can kind of, uh, relax and, and have something to drink and a little something to nibble on and look at these amazing views of the city. So it's kind of a thing we like doing. So we're going to that. The thing is, it's one of those deals where if you're if you from a place that has a lot of big buildings, there's some places where they don't need to do the elevator that like stops every floor because you're just, you get on the bottom and you're only going to the 94th floor. It's the only place anybody's going. Express. So it's express elevator kind of situation. Now the good news about that is it's very quick. Yeah. It's not as quick <laughs> if you really put your foot in your mouth and you're stuck in this elevator for 90-something floors. <laughs> so on our way down, and they cram you know, a bunch of people in here. It's crammed with the brim. And uh, our friend who's with us uh, notices that the gentleman in front of him is speaking in a fairly thick French accent. Yeah. And he decides, and again, in a very American way, 
It's time to reach out. Okay. Yeah. Time to make a connection. Yeah. Time to get friendly. That's right. And it's not the way the Europeans get down, but he didn't know that. The, the <laughs> French just want you to notice them and engage them on, hey, I notice you're French. Yeah. So it starts out that way. I notice from your accent, are you from France? And the gentleman says, yes, I am. Yeah. And uh, our friend says, just flips to the first thing in his mental Rolodex. Again, long day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, f- looks up the little man in his brain, pulls out the card that says France. Yeah. And the first thing under it is wine. Right. So he says, France, I assume you like wine. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you'd have thought he said something about this gentleman's sainted mother. Right. And Charles de Gaulle yes. and the Marquis de Lafayette all at once. Yes. He went in. Uh-huh. And this dude flipped the switch. <laughs> okay. And in the most on a wit- very very sweet, <laughs> very innocuous young young man, person. just reaching out, just a happy, just wants to wants to talk to about he's, wine. He's only known <laughs> wants sweet to learn Christian something. people his whole life. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and this gentleman, and I'm going to do an incredibly offensive French accent, please, because is this the way this guy talks? Probably not. This is the way I hear the story in my mind. Yes. Receives to tear into our friend. Keep in mind, in a crowded elevator, right. so crowded he can't even turn around. Right. He's looking over his shoulder, and the line is: he's gets he's starts building up his steam with you. What, what you just think is a French or anything but wine. And the two lines are: you think I brush my teeth with wine? <laughs> and as our friend is trying to, well, no, you think I have wine with my cereal? Right. And then we is. still had fifty more floors together. <laughs> An incredibly uncomfortable silence. You think I brushed my teeth with wine? And that is no way to thank the French who are responsible for the 4th of July. I brought it around. Woo! And if you wow. have weirdo right-wing relatives who are still on the whole Freedom Fries thing, if you want a fun historical fact, I'm going to give it to you as a bonus. There were more French troops than American at the Battle of Yorktown. There you go. So there's that. Thank you, French people. We know you don't eat your cereal with wine. <laughs> also, here's another, while we're covering a lot of international facts. Please here, do. Because we're, we're, we're building bridges. Well, we're bringing the people together. That's step one. Here's what it is, is if you have friends who are Greek, do not joke about, you heard the best oh. place to get gyros is at Arby's. Oh, speaking of things that certain people do not find funny. <laughs> this is, this is again, uh, Deacon George. Yes. Who, on top of being a great deacon and a fantastic uh, brother Lord, is just the happiest person I've ever met in my life. Yep. Uh-huh. Just positive. Everything's yes. great. Yes. Wants to help. We, he gave an amazing sermon. He's given two amazing sermons to the Bridge and Row. The last one started, not a pastor, not a preacher. I know I'm just called the surf people. Yeah. That's George to the bone. Yeah. Never seen him not smiling, except... When we drove past the Arby's, he saw the sign that you can get gyros there and was stupefied by that. Why would you go to Arby's for gyros? That's right. Particularly in the Chicagoland area when there are just, you can't go five feet without tripping over an authentic gyro. That's right. And, And he expressed to me... Uh, that 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 was absurd, and I said, you know, I, I hear that's where the best ones are is to go to Arby's, <laughs> and that was not funny, yeah, at all. And then he insisted that we go to his gyro place, so I understood the difference and the magnitude of your error of my error. And those were some dang wow. good gyros, so 
I, you, we, that's what you call cultures coming together. Absolutely. Yep. And on that point, I will, before I, I close this out, I will point out an important lesson on the Say That podcast we've pointed out many times. There are some things only Glenn can get away with. Yes. Yeah. Because Glenn's experience was I made the off the kind of going for it kind of poke joke, and the guy really didn't like that. Right. Felt his culture assaulted. So he showed me where the really good ones are. Yeah. That's what happens to Glenn. That's right. The rest of us get berated by a Frenchman in an elevator for a full seven-minute ride. So, Which, by the way, when we, when the, we, we didn't cover the fact that when, we, when the elevator landed and we all exited the, uh, the, the elevator, we went the wrong way and everybody else went the right way. So then we got doubled back around. We go back to the correct lobby to exit this to exit this building, and we see this French guy again standing in a pile of no less than 15 or 20 French people speaking rapid French, and then all of a sudden he turns and sees our friend who made the grievous error, and then lands the punchline in French, and the whole crowd just started laughing yep. at our friend. Wow. It was one of those where just. you don't have to be able to understand what they're speaking to know right. what they're saying. Right. Are they laughing with me or at me? Incredible. <laughs> well, Jed, as someone of French ancestry, which do you think it is? Uh, we all know the answer to that. Yeah. <laughs> and on that basis, I declare emergency off. Freedom on. Ooh. Mm, yeah, about and that. It's important to have your freedoms. For example... If you're a Bridgebox subscriber, you're free to enjoy this month's summer mixtape. Oh, yeah. Many wonderful songs this month. We will be back next month with a regular Bridgebox edition, the topic of which will be Having Hope. A lot of fun stuff. Sermons from Glenn and I. Songs from Lee, Jed, a cast of other very talented friends. But for now, you can sign up at missionusa.com slash Bridgebox and get our four-track summer mixtape, which we hope will become a yearly tradition. Get you guys some extra music that we hope you enjoy. MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox. All right, we can jump to our first question here. If you hang on this all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways to get in touch with this. First question comes in to our Tumblr inbox, and it says, What do I do when I feel like I don't have a purpose? I'm 27 years old and look around and see my schoolmates, some church members younger than me, and they seem to have it all figured out. The path seems to have been made clear for them to walk. Everything in my life looks so minuscule compared to everyone else. It's almost as if I didn't get the memo or when God was giving away purpose, goals, ambition, I was all the way in the back of the line and got nothing. And Jen, why don't you start us off? Sure thing. Well, we're sorry that you're feeling that way and uh, we're sorry for your struggles and we're glad that you wrote in. So this is a little bit counterintuitive, but I think it's important. When you feel in life, when, when you feel like you're kind of lost and you, you don't kind of know where to go, that's a really important moment to be as precise as you can possibly be. Here, here's what I mean. You say, uh, it's almost like I didn't get the memo and I was at the back of the line and I got nothing. Well, you didn't literally get nothing. I mean, you've, you have things you're good at. You've had opportunities in your life that other people haven't had. I mean, you, you, you woke up this morning, so you, you have been given some things, and that's not a, a guilt trip of, well, you should just be thankful. That's, that's not what I mean at all. But we need, if we've got a problem we need to solve, the more precise we can be about the nature of the problem, the more readily we can solve that problem. But when we feel low, when we feel discouraged, we have a way of being very, very general. Very much everything is doom and everything is awful, and that, yeah. that's kind of a problem we can't solve. So, so let's dig into that for a second. 
What I hear you describing, I think, is that you'd like to grow in your career, you'd like to grow in your personal ministry, you'd like to grow in your hobbies, in your romantic life, in your friendships. And that's great. Those those are all uh, things that are worth growing in. I, I imagine there's probably room for growth in all of those. But those are all different things. They all require different strategies for growth, and they all require different things of you, even though all of them are are a part of a full life. Again, when we start to feel low and we start to feel kind of overwhelmed, we can group all those things together. We can feel like, I just need one big thing that just solves everything and just gives me some momentum. But things don't actually work that way. Stuff that would be a good fit for one of those areas wouldn't really apply. So for example, if you say, I want more vibrant friendships in my life, you know, I, I feel like I just want my social life to be, you know, richer. That's fine. That's a good thing to want. That's great. Here's the easiest way to do that. Be the person who instigates things. Hello. You don't, don't wait for people to call you, call other people. Um, yeah. if, if you'll do that, you will have a richer social life starting like right now. But while that's a fix for your friendships, that's not necessarily a fix for your hobbies or your personal ministry. It's, it's a good fix for one area. We need a different strategy for these other areas. So the more precise that we can be about which areas do I really not feel satisfied with, which areas really need work, the more we can find solutions that fit those specific areas. But here's, if you're not sure on, on what else, here's a, a checklist for kind of working through these things. The first question, and really the most important one, is, is there anything in the way here? So, for example, you, it, it sounds like you're implying that you don't feel very good about where your career is at, what kind of your professional growth. So, is there anything in the way on that? Is it something where, for example, there's a skill that you really don't have for the field you're trying to be in that you really need to have? Or something that comes up a lot with the guys we work with, you have a thing on your record that looks really bad and kind of either makes it hard to get a job or makes it intimidating to get a job. Either way, is there something in the way? Because if there's something in the way, then we can look at how do we address that problem. We can face that thing head on. We can get into it. The next step is, do you know the next step? Maybe there's not a specific thing that's in the way, but do you know where you're trying to get to? Do you, do you know what that step would be on the journey that you are trying to be on? Because if you don't know the next step, you can't really take it. You know I mean? We often, when we feel like we're stuck in a rut, maybe we're stuck in a rut, maybe we just don't know the way forward. Those are, those are two different things. So we want to make sure we actually know what the next step would be. Then the last one on our quick checklist is to ask, do you have what you need to take that next step? Right. So in your dating life, you know, maybe the next step is I really need to get on eHarmony and and give that a whirl and give that a try. Okay. Do you have a computer? Do you do you have a phone? You know, do you do you have enough income where you can afford their monthly thing? Or do you know when they're gonna do their next free month or whatever the deal is? Do you have the constituent ingredients and pieces that you need in order to take that next step? All of this is about being precise. All of this is about being solution-oriented. And if you'll go through and be precise about the areas of life you're not feeling good about and where each of them stand in regards to this checklist, is there something in the way? Do I know the next step? Do I have what I need to take that next step? You can actually start to see some progress a lot faster than you'd think and feel better a lot faster than you think. But that starts with not giving into that temptation to be overly general, which again, is a temptation for all of us. We all get into that. You know, everything is bad. And being precise about the stuff that you're dealing with with. I think you'll see some good growth fast. That's a really, really good point. Lee, I'd love to go to you here because I think part of being precise is going to be being precise about what we feel about the situation. 
And yeah. as Jed is saying, getting to the point where we have a solvable problem, um, I feel like I don't compare well to everyone around me is not as much of a solvable problem as I feel like I want to be further along in XYZ. So how do we make sure we're doing the latter, not the former? Well, I, I think that's a really good question, especially in that um, pretty much everybody that is connected on some kind of social media is comparing themselves to everybody they know and a lot of folks that they don't know or won't have any chance to know and feeling terrible about themselves all the time as a result of that. The the weird thing and the difficult thing about uh, some of the social media stuff that everybody is kind of feeding into their day like all the time, like always checking those feeds, always checking the posts and the pictures and everything people are putting up is that they're buying into um, a gigantic story that everybody they know is telling the whole world. So everybody's showing, you know, showing the funnest, coolest moments of whatever, and it's all edited, it's all mediated, and um, and we can't actually get a good perspective of what anybody else's life is like. But as a result, when we look at that all the time, every day, we get this feeling that every single person I know has this trendy, glitzy, awesome, and important life, and mine feels really normal and drab and uh, chill and boring. Um, and so I'm probably, uh, you know, less ambitious or I'm probably less driven or I'm probably just le- a less cool person as a result of the fact that when I compare myself to everybody else, I way come up in the detriment. So the problem there is that, like I was saying before, all of this is mediated. It's all edited. None of it is actually true. Uh it, if you've heard us talk about this before, the way Jed says this is everyone you know is lying all of the time. Yep. Right. And so that's the problem is that when you look at something where every, like if you, like there's, I've read studies that say that people check their social media feeds like every eight minutes or something like that. They, They go back to it and check it again. If your day is populated with like more than once in a, a half-hour TV show span, you're going and looking at how everyone is lying about their life and their day. You are going to feel discouraged about your normal life because your life has laundry in it, and your life has some boring moments in it. Your life has, uh, you know, cl- you know, cleaning the kitchen and doing dishes and stuff like that. So there's no way that you can compare to everybody else's amazing life. So we need to we need to get some perspective, and and maybe part of this is um, I, I should take a little break for a while from just having everybody else's life in my face all the time. Amen. Um, I, I would suggest that as a way to gain some perspective. You know, Jed is talking about having a precision of knowing what is it I'm trying to improve and what are the things that are holding me back from that. Well, one of the things that could be holding back you back from from this is you can't have an actually a very fair perspective of your own life because it's completely populated with a gigantic pack of lies, which makes you emotionally feel terrible about where you are. The truth is everybody has to go to the bathroom and everybody has to do laundry and everybody has to clean dishes. The the fact is that most people's lives are not as trendy or cool or as amazing looking as they all seem. 
And here's another cool thing just about the kingdom of God. When you think about like the part of your life where you are walking with and following Jesus, all of the things that Jesus prizes and the things that he exalts and builds up are things that are small things that are absolutely accomplishable right now today by anyone who wants to. They're not things that look amazing in posts. They're not things that, you know, the things that look amazing in posts as far as ministry stuff is like a lot of numbers, you know, uh, impressive equipment or fog machines and stuff like that. But Jesus said anybody who hands a cup of cold water to one of these little ones will not fail to receive their reward. There's a place in Hebrews chapter 6 that says, God is not unrighteous. He will not forget your work of faith and your labor of love in that you loved and served people. He'll always remember it. So there are things, and this is is just kind of another part of us saying that you need to gain some perspective. The things that you do that where you're following and serving the Lord, they may look small, they're huge, and Jesus will never forget them. And we might need to just take a break for a while from from you know having a, a mind and heart populated by everyone else's lies about how seemingly awesome their lives are, just so you can gain some perspective about what you've got going on. Amen. That's a really fantastic point overall, and specifically about this issue. And Glenn, another thing we we need to look at, I think Lee gave us that word perspective, which is very mm-hmm. important. Um, one is perspective in the comparison, which is great. The other is just kind of a uh, a perspective, even free of comparison, just. Is it entirely um, reasonable to expect to have everything figured out by 27? <laughs> me too. That was where you lost me. You said, I'm 27 years old, and uh, there was some church members younger than me seem like they have it all figured out. Nobody younger than 27 has it all figured out. Well, <laughs> and it's a great point. And it's worth looking at the fact that it would have been perfectly reasonable uh, for someone to look at you at 27 yeah. and think this dude's got it figured out. For sure. He's working right. in the ministry that would become his career, and yep. he's married to an amazing woman. Yep. But that's different than feeling like you have it all figured out. Well, that's right. I mean, I knew what I wanted to do, and I was pursuing it. I was fortunate enough to get into a position where I got a lot of good experience early on. But I didn't, I didn't have a sense of uh, sort of how I fit into all of that at all really, at all. I knew what I wanted to do, but that's different, really, from what you're talking about. A lot of what I sense that you're talking about here is, uh, as you say, purpose, goals, and ambition. Well, here's the thing. Sometimes when you you hear a number of things going by, someone's trying to sneak one in there. Sure. So you got... I always tell the Lord, give me the little noise when when we're on the one that someone's trying to get past me sure so this way i heard purpose no goals no ambition ding okay so here's what that is is um i think in church culture these days there's sort of two big responses to i am a socially awkward person because mm. there's a lot of that you know i think the internet contributes to that but it's just it's part of uh, this generation's thing. Is there? There's a lot of I'm. I'm not totally comfortable in social situations. I I don't know how to connect to people in person, the way maybe people in younger generations were more comfortable with that. You mean drinking? <laughs> exactly right. So, um, uh, I in my mind I I've seen sort of two big broad responses to that. One response is, hey, you being shy doesn't help this church grow. 
and you need to make this church grow because that will make me feel good about myself as a pastor. So <laughs> don't be shy. Stop it. That's our response number one. Response number two is, you know what? It's totally okay that you're shy. You should stay shy. That's totally fine. Don't ever come out of your shell. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, that, that's, I don't think that's the answer either. Uh, the, the, the truth is, if, if you feel as though your life is small and it's stunted and you feel like you don't have connections with people, let's figure out how, what we're going to do about that. Let's figure out how that moves forward. Uh, but I, I think... Um, part of what we struggle with when we find our calling is, in some cases, I can easily plug into a thing that already exists. If I want to do yeah. youth ministry, I can go to Young Life, I can uh, find a, a campus ministry I can plug into, and it's a pretty simple deal there. Uh, if I, you know, certainly if you want to do most forms of urban ministry, as, as, as complicated and, and difficult as it looks from the outside, there's always organizations looking for volunteers. And if you call around or, or, or go around to enough of those ministries, they'll say, hey, you know, we just need somebody to drive the van, man. Could you do that? We need somebody to go get a special license so they'll know it and take the classes. And none of us can do this. You'd save our life if you'd go take these classes, get this license, and drive this dang van full of people from here to there. That would, that's the, whole, that's the, the thing that's keeping us from closing the loop on getting something done. Uh, you, that stuff is fairly easy to do, but there's a lot of... Uh, I mean, it does involve you getting out of the house and uh, asserting yourself and all of that, but that's, you know... But there's a lot of callings that end up being you have to make up something from scratch. You mm. have to create something out of nothing. And I think uh, when people look at calling, they think that's the only kind of calling there is. You know what I mean? Mm. No one says... I think, or they don't seem to say to me, I'm just called to financially support ministries. I don't know why that isn't a thing, because that's needed. That's huge. And in the Bible. It's in the Bible. I don't hear people say, I just feel called to volunteer with this thing that already exists, and I show up and I do the thing, and I serve the soup, and I mop the floors afterwards, and that just makes me happy. That's, that's what I volunteer for, but those people say, I'm volunteering there. They don't say, that's my calling. For some reason, a calling has to be where you start from something from scratch and it's a big freaking deal and it looks great on social media, as Lee is saying. Uh, that's, uh, you, there's no such thing as a small calling, and there, you, you, you may be called to something that isn't starting something from scratch, but if it is, does involve starting something from scratch, here's what I want to say to you really quickly about that. Part of what Lee is talking about here is really sort of a competitive thing. I want to look cooler on the internet than you. And so we get in that competitive mode. Well, how does that affect this situation? Well, it creates a mentality of I am trying to be more, as you say, you know, have it more figured out than these other people my age rather than saying I need to find someone older than me who knows a whole lot more than me that can show me how to fulfill my calling. That's nowhere in this picture. We're only comparing ourselves to our peers, and I have to, on my own, outdo my peers at the stuff that they're doing, mm -hmm. which is probably not nearly as big a deal as what they're, they're trying to lay out there. So I think this is a, a, a symptom of needing to find someone who feeds you and mentors you and can encourage you on your calling. 
I think it's a really great point, and it's important to give that that wider idea of calling because, as Glenn points out, um, there's a lot of people in Christianity, and this comes from from the stage a lot of times, who once you know that the only things you can be called to do are speak impressively <laughs> or bring other people to the place that I'm speaking impressively. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much it as far as calling goes. And as one points out, every good ministry, every good church, every good organization in the world has people who are called to do the bookkeeping and mm-hmm. called to call, uh, you know, do the phone tree when somebody gets sick and called to do the tech stuff. And that's all as much calling, if not more calling, than the dude who's up front because that's all as critical to getting it going. And But none of those, I think, I, I would agree with Glenn that I'd go back to this point of uh, – putting ambition in that mix because mm-hmm. ambition doesn't have much to do with calling. You know, right. you're, you're listening to four guys who have accomplished a lot and done a lot and, you know, done things that on their, in, an individual would seem super impressive, been interviewed by this and that, been invited to speak at this and that. You're also listening to maybe the four least ambitious people right. you'd ever meet. <laughs> right, right. Because what what good is ambition on that? Right, like right. I, we don't want to be awesome. We want to do the job. Ambition right. kind of is inherently that I want to be super awesome. Mm-hmm. Which in a purely secular sense, that makes sense. You know, I want to make a lot of money, I want to have the big title. That's cool. It's just not it's kind of the opposite of what the Bible says about everything. In terms of having servants hearts. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and the idea that ambition will get in the way of your calling because mm-hmm. As Glenn points out, your calling will almost certainly mean humbling yourself, mm-hmm. serving other people, yeah. and that's all going to get you where you're going. It's going to be great. It's going to seem very fulfilling. But that idea that I can have all that and suck at everyone on Instagram who's going to be jealous of me, there are moments. I mean, you're looking around if we, when we post you know, stuff from Worship at the Bridge or whatever, it's the coolest thing on your Instagram feed that way. Sorry, on that, that day. Sorry. It, friends of ours it just is it's it's awesome or when if we post a, a photo from your life camp or something it's all awesome you'll have moments of that but it's kind of one of those things it's almost like if you have two masters you can't serve both of them that's right mm. a very popular book i write wow, well it would be a very unpopular book for i to write it <laughs> but um it's one of those things where if you make that choice early if i just want to i want to focus on finding my purpose that's great if we think through what that means of um you know, getting in prayer about it, finding good advice is going to saying, do that thing that really kind of sets your heart on fire. All other stuff will come in a surprising amount than you would think. But if you try to engineer that other stuff, as these guys are saying, that's going to end up kind of just, just feeling a little off. So all really, really good advice. We're going to move on to our second question here. It comes in to our email address and it says, I'm wondering about different Bible translations. I sense that it's a bit silly to think of one as good and another as bad, as I think you've mentioned on a previous episode of the podcast, but why are some so different, is there, and is there really a difference in accuracy? And Lee, as I already mentioned, we have answered this before. We answered general questions about uh, Bible translations before, but I think it's one of those things that's always kind of good to do a refresh on as we get new listeners or as this comes out to people. So what are the basics on this? Well, uh, I think for me, I would say that the number one thing that I would stress and and do stress when somebody asks me this question is to avoid the feeling that you're somehow doing it wrong if you choose one over the other. So if I pick this one, then I'm wrong somehow. If I choose this other one, this one's better, you know, inherently than the others. Um, one of the reasons that, um, that, that translations are different is that they are done by different people. One thing about translations is, and this is kind of a nerdy concept, um, but all translations of the Bible are interpretive. 
and to some degree. So what that means is because somebody is making a decision for what you know, if you're reading in the English language, what English word are we going to use to represent this Greek word or this Hebrew word or this Aramaic word? So I, I've got a, a few different shades of different words I can choose. So I'm going to choose one of these. And, and probably my interpretation is going to color that choice a little bit. There's just kind of no way of getting around that. But, but like any translation that you're going to run into, these are scholarly works by serious people who want you to understand what's happening in the Bible. What I would say is the number one thing when you're trying to figure out what translation to use, again, you're not wrong if you choose this one over that one, or you know this thing isn't better than the other thing. Most of the ones you're going to run into are fine as far as accuracy and that kind of stuff, is you want to choose one where you understand what's happening, where it makes sense to you, the words make sense to you, and you understand what's going on. That's kind of the main thing that we're looking for. For most folks, for most younger folks, that's going to be probably the message, or there's a new one called The Voice. Uh, There's one called The New Living Translation that's really easy to understand. Those kinds of translations are going to be easy to understand, and that's kind of where I would start. But I would also say there's there's a really handy website called Bible Hub. And on Bible Hub, you can just type in a verse reference, and they'll pull up like that verse, that one little verse, in tons of different translations. You could just kind of read through the differences to see which one is 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 something that makes sense to me, that helps me understand what's happening and what's going on. That's the main thing is we want to make sure you understand where you are, um, that you're not more confused, um, but that you're breaking up confusion. Another thing that I would suggest, and I often do suggest to people is try audio Bibles. It's a totally different experience to listen to the Bible, to listen to somebody read to you, than to just try to plow through turning page after page yourself. Um, If you're a Spotify user, there's a bunch of audio Bible translations on Spotify. There's actually a really cool one by some guys up there in Chicago that has like kind of a, it's got like a like downbeat hip hop thing going on behind different dudes reading, you know, different chapters of the scriptures. They've got several books out. It's really, really cool style. Um, and it's a simple translation to understand, but I would definitely try audiobooks just kind of when you're, you know, when you're driving around or whatever, um, because it's just a different experience. So I would try to experience a bunch of different things, but the main key is, is, is understanding where you are. I think that's a really fantastic place to start this off. And Glenn, I'd love to get you to pick up on something we were talking about in the way of, because I think it's worth understanding as we look at uh, what we want to get out of a Bible translation, which is, as, as Lee's pointing out, it's not really about good and bad, because as I pointed out in a blog post on this and in the email, um, this is one of those things where there's a lot of cases, I don't think this is one of those things where the market does kind of work, because if somebody puts so much money to get something translated by a team of scholars and put to market, it's normally cleared all the hoops from, oh, a, yeah. Yeah. you know, auth- from an authenticity, you know, doctrinal, you know, it's that's right. It, you, you don't just get, you know, Jim's Bible yeah. and actually get that on Bible hub or in the Christian bookstore. So if it's yeah. anyone you've heard of, it's probably fine from a, sure. from an actually standpoint. But so then the question comes, what do we want to get out of this? That's right. And part of that, I think is understanding what they're doing. So Lee mentioned something like the message, which mm-hmm. is a little different from like an NIV or ESV. So what are some different goals of Bible translations that may help us understand what we're looking for? Yeah, I think part of, you know, we we do uh, end up talking, you know, with individuals in our our day job about Bible translations kind of a lot. I think we tend to gloss over things. So 
to do a little bit of a deeper dive and maybe unpack some of this language because it sounds like really deep and it's not. It's very basic stuff. Yeah, it's a combo of Bible stuff and <coughs> scholar stuff, which if you want to put off 99.9% of the general population, find a way to combine those. Yeah, th- I, let's make this super, super, super simple. So um, I'm going to read you the... uh, I I flipped to the first uh, uh, verse in the book of Romans. I'm going to read you the verse, and I'm not going to translate one word, and we're going to look at it that way. So uh, 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 Paul chapter... uh, I mean, uh, uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle after... Forismenos, to be an evangelist of God. Okay, so uh, we want to know that word in Greek. So we're going to translate it uh, just like they would do in any of these Bible translations. Well, here's what that word means. It's a very simple, simple word. Uh, It's a compound word. The the prefix, uh, prefix on that is apo, that's a, a, a preposition, from. And then uh, uh, orismeno. So orizo is the is the root word there. That's where we get the English word horizon. Okay. So the way that they would use that in ancient Greek times is um, like a boundary that you lay out. You would call that an orizo, right? But it sort of has that idea. A, a, a horizon is sort of a boundary. It's just kind of the limits of what you can see. But it's it's this idea of um, uh, a, a, uh, that you're called from some place and you're called t- to be in this space. I'm called to be doing this thing in this place that's been set aside for this purpose. Okay, that's how you translate that word, right? But uh, if, you, if we're going to translate the Bible, uh, we, we can't put a... Five or ten word phrase for each Greek word. Um, And there are a lot of people who say, let's do it word for word, because if I give if I give a phrase to explain that, I might I might uh, get into an interpretative thing. Editorializing a bit. That's right. But you say, well, that would make it less accurate. Here's the thing. What's the English word for that? For that Greek word, aphorismanos, that's uh, if you read it, there's there's almost no translation that gives one English word for that. That's it's, it's right. set apart. I think is for most of them, or appalled, called, yeah. appointed. I think is a good word. Yeah. Probably, I think the best word would or most accurate word would be ordained, but that's sort of a loaded word. So you see, there's a cultural element to that. And also, yeah. if I don't know what the word ordained means in English, I haven't translated it to you. I just traded a Greek word that you don't know for an English word that you don't know. So that's not really a <laughs> translation at all. So I have to, um, I have to find a way to, to uh, 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 figure out how I want to translate that and do it accurately, right? But there's another element to this that's interesting. If you go over... Um, Let's see if I can if I can scroll through here. If you go uh, down just a few verses, um, the same root word. Uh, uh, well, I won't find it here. But uh, if you go down uh, just uh, uh, 
a handful of verses later, it's talking about Jesus and how he was appointed, he was orizo, uh, to be the Son of God. So he's called and he's uh, uh, ordained in, in whatever this English phrase that we're going to use here. So uh, Paul is using the same language to say, Jesus called me and, and appointed me and designated me, maybe is a decent little word for that, in the same way that God called and designated Jesus to be his son. So it's all one word that he's knitting all that together with. Yeah. I don't know what on earth English word I'm going to find for that. I don't have any <laughs> words of criticism for somebody who wants to float one out there. Um, and so what, what we're saying here is that, um, that chasing the idea that one is accurate and one is inaccurate is the wrong way to look at that. Uh, if you want to unpack these things that I'm talking about, it's worth getting on Bible Hub and getting that information. That's where you know, we get it and so forth. We have other resources, but for the sake of speed, that's what I'm doing 80% of the time. Um, uh, but what that's doing is it's giving me an opportunity to uh, to, to unlock that meaning of what's in there. But it doesn't mean that if someone is giving a translation like the message, which we might call a paraphrase, we might call say that's a thought-for-thought thought translation with the goal of uh, we're going to put into your mind an understanding that would be perfectly parallel to what a reader who would read that in Greek, uh, you know, two millennia ago, would, would how they would uh, uh, understand it, right? If we go at it word for word, that sounds more accurate because I'm, I'm, just, I'm just going, you know, one thing for one thing. But there are so many Greek words that we don't have a word for in English we really can't yeah. do that, and and so yeah. so in in trying to find that one word, we either jack up the vocabulary, which happens in a lot of translations, or we are um, uh, having to to un, uh, to to put a phrase in there, and even just in doing that, we're putting a little bit of a color and interpretation, same as they do when they're doing the other. So I I think it's wrong to try and say one's accurate, one's not. That's a really, really good point. And Jed, as as Glenn points out, if the if what we're looking for is not accuracy, yeah, what we land on is maybe one you like more than the other. Yeah. The problem right. is it's kind of hard for make people feel like you're a lot more Bible than they are. That's right. Just because you like something <laughs> and they like another thing. Yeah. Might that play into uh, may, might that play into the fact that we only hear people talk about Bible translation? When they're overcooking it, yeah, that's definitely true. Well, let's let's look at some left and right boundaries for a second, because those those are always important. If you're reading a Bible that you don't understand, you are reading the wrong version of the Bible. Yeah, right. Full definitely. stop. So, uh, you know, um, it, most people today who would try to read um, the authorized King James version do not understand the vocabulary right. or the syntax right. in that. So, for you, that's the wrong Bible. Mm. That's, that's full stop. Now, on the on the other side, here's the thing. Any Bible on Bible Hub, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Any Bible you'd find at a Christian bookstore is fine. Not every Bible in the world is fine, however. So right, you, you right. may not have heard of a group called the Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, they are a cult group uh, in that they do not in any way adhere to Orthodox Christian teaching. Um, what, what they 
present as their articles of faith is not Christianity. They'll tell you it is. It is not. It is not Christianity. Now, here's why this is important. They literally have their own version of the Bible. Um, It's called the New World Translation, or the NWT. It is not on Bible Hub. No. Um, It was translated by an anonymous team of translators. Ah. Mm. Um, And um, you should not read the NWT. That is not a good Bible for you to read. Um, Quick story. We had a little Bible study, and we were comparing translations, and one guy, his was just off a lot, and he flipped to the front, and it was Watchtower Track Society published New New World Translation. Right. So if you have a Bible that was published, the, the name they use for the publishing arm is the Watchtower. If it was published by the Watchtower, you want to get a different Bible. But those are kind of the very, very far left and right boundaries. If you're reading a Bible published by a cult group, we want to get a different Bible. Right. If, you're, if you're reading a Bible, the language of which you do not understand, we want to get a different Bible. Mm-hmm. Everything in between, it's fine. Yeah. Whatever, whatever works for you. It's, it's no worries. And the, the key concept here is proportion. Um, which Christians struggle with a lot. If your view is, I prefer XYZ translation because I think it's very readable and it's respected by relevant scholars, that's great. It's fantastic. If your perspective is XYZ translation is the only correct one and all others are hellfire heresies, that is bad. (laughs) That is... Why don't you calm down, Terrence? (laughs) (laughs) This is one of those weird things where how much you care about this does actually matter. Yeah. To, to care about it zero percent would be a mistake. Mm. Um, to ca- to make this the cornerstone article of your faith would also be a mistake. Uh, find a Bible that's not been published by a cult group and that um, you understand the vocabulary of, and then rock and roll. You're doing great. That's that's a great point. I will uh, I will say something that will make a segment of our friends in the Christian world twitch. So prepare yourselves. Um, <laughs> the fact is, the vast majority vast, vast majority of people who lived a Christian life on this earth never had a Bible translation in their language. Yes, sir. The idea that getting up early in the morning at a Starbucks with a particularly photogenic cup of coffee and pouring over the scriptures is the key to a Christian life is real new. (laughs) That's not to say reading the Bible is bad. So I'm not saying that. We all have devotional time. We all... Uh, there's a lot of talk about Greek that goes on at the bridge in a way that might uh, might surprise you. But this idea that if I really get the good Bible translation and I really get into the science of it, then it's just going to unlock everything else. That's m- what we call magical thinking. Yeah. And there's a lot of magical thinking that goes on in Christianity about the Bible. The point of the Bible, as Jed points out, is to understand what is in it then be able to apply it. To read something that, as we're pointing out, actual scholars who actually know this stuff translated and be able to onboard that in whatever way you can. That's, that's the important part. So if you get that, if you get that out of the King James version, great. If you get it out of the NIRV, anything in between, that's all fantastic. And as ever, as uh, Jed points out, if you have something, if someone brings you translation, you've never heard of, just email us and we we can normally, uh, uh, we can normally double check that for you. All right, move on to our final question here. It comes in anonymously and it says so i'm dating a guy but we're not a couple we decided to not kiss now but i was wondering if it's right to hold hands long hugs cheek kisses sometimes in public even if he's not my boyfriend thanks and glenn start us off oh lord uh yeah okay so where do we start uh god should set the boundaries for the physical stuff in your relationship 
Uh, you should not. Uh, the reason why you 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 should not uh, is that uh, it, it, one way or another, we are going to either end up setting it a little too strict or be a lot to lose. Both of those are bad ideas. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the thing we get wrong is uh, just like on this last question with Bible translation, I want to take it to the extreme. Ooh. Yeah. I, I the wanna... extreme Bible. I've seen that one. The cover Dude, is bright I would, green. I would read the XIV. I'm not even playing right. with Ex- you. Exactly, right. The, it, it, somehow that's the abbreviation for the extreme international version. Of course. It, it's just the same thing, but every time it mentions Jesus, it just in parentheses says, on a skateboard. Right. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> he does an ollie. <laughs> I don't even know what that is, but you know. Uh, yeah, this is the thing, is uh, that thinking in and of itself, I'm going to take it to the limit, man, with my Jesus stuff, it, 99% of what you're going to get out of that attitude is going to be really useless and really a waste of time <laughs> and not remotely Christian at all. Uh, if you want to take things to uh, the extreme, listen to God, do what he says. Nobody's doing that. That's extreme, dude. That's right. you're gonna be you're gonna be way out there with that, man. Uh, but your idea of what's extreme, your idea of what's taken to the limit and making this relationship the best, is almost always going to be some kind of a bad idea. It doesn't mean that all your instincts are wrong, but I think particularly when you say, you know, we want to do this relationship, we want to get it right, so extreme solution is the best way to get that done i i just i don't think that's a healthy uh, attitude i don't think it's going to yield good results thinking in terms of um the more restrictive we are in this relationship the better it is it's always you know, we can we uh we we want to err on the side of caution that that kind of thinking uh you that sounds right it sounds godly it sounds holy it's not uh, uh, any number of people will tell you we, you know, we didn't do anything physically, and then one night we, you were, you know, the right. dam burst. <laughs> That's right. Thank you. And uh, well, that maybe that was because we weren't just finding a level that we could be comfortable with and expressing ourselves with some basic intimacy and 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 finding a comfortable, happy medium there. Uh, you know, we, we've met any number of people, and I mean a lot of people who we didn't do anything physically. We got married. We realized we have no idea how to physically uh, please one another and, and share physical intimacy with one another. That's a bad thing. That's an unhealthy thing. That's making their marriage worse. It's not making it better, for <laughs> heaven's sake. So um, boundaries are good. I, 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 I'm not saying uh, you know, have yourself a free-for-all. But intimacy is good too, y'all. Mm. That's very important. Uh, you know, holding hands, uh, uh, you know, a kiss on the cheek, a nice long hug, uh, you know, some basic, you know, put on some music, do a little bit of slow dancing, whatever it is. Be romantic with one another. Find ways of loving and serving one another and spoiling on one another. That's what these relationships are for. Uh, I, You know, I think, you know, Going slow is fine. That's we're not against that, but we need to let God into this conversation. Yes, with an understanding that God is not against 
you having right. physical pleasure or having an emotional and physical intimacy with another person. That's a great point. It's a fantastic place to start off. And Lee, I'd love to go to you here because I think Glenn gives us something important there, which is the idea of a conversation as yeah. opposed to trying to uh, decipher a set of rules that, again, we point out are not in the Bible. There's nothing about <laughs> cheek kissing, except that everyone should be doing it all the time when they go to church, which we're, we're not doing that. So we're ignoring the one cheek kiss command in the Bible. So we're, there's nothing else in there about it. So how do we go about uh, incorporating a little listening into this? Well, uh, I, I mean, I love everything that Glenn said on this and just kind of following exactly on that thing. I think that one problem that, that Christians have is that what they want is they want a list of hard and fast rules that you can just lay out and here are the things that you're allowed to do once you've been dating this long. Here are the things you're allowed to do once you've been dating this long. And uh, here's the music you're allowed to listen to, and here's who you're allowed to vote for. All of these things make people feel comfortable and safe. If I have all the rules figured out, if I know exactly how I'm supposed to live this thing out, then I can know that I'm okay. The thing that makes people uncomfortable is exactly what Glenn's talking about, a real relationship with the person of Jesus where you start to listen to him, read him in on your decisions, and develop some, something that a lot of people do not have, which is something called discernment. Uh, this is a thing that is, uh, it's, it's something that you almost never find in the wild. Um, just the idea that I have an actual relationship with Jesus, I invite him in to my decision-making process, I let him call some shots, and tell me what needs to go on. And I think one of the first places where that has to start, if we want to look at how do I do that, if I've never really had that kind of relationship with Jesus, that has to start with um, getting to the place where you actually want to hear what Jesus has to say about the things in your life. Most of us, um, most of us arrived at that place after we crashed and burned a ton in our own life calling our own shots. Um, after we after we realized that that we're not good at running our own life, then we got interested in finding out what Jesus wanted us to do and inviting him into to those decisions. That's the first place that we've got to get to is the idea of, I actually want to know what Jesus has to say about this. And then the next thing that we need to do is in our prayer life and in times when we're talking with the Lord, we need to be unbelievably honest about everything that we're thinking, about every situation that we encounter. So if you act like a big jerk face one day, go ahead and confess that whole thing. Talk about all the reasons behind it. Don't hold anything back. Don't hide anything from him. And then when you can develop that kind of relationship, then you're starting down the path where you are being real with Jesus. You are starting a, a conversation, as Matt's saying. When we do that, then we can start to honestly and completely involve him in what's going on. Um, and then we start to learn how to get ourselves and our heart and our mind quiet enough to hear, what is Jesus leading me into? What is, what is the direction that he's taking me? We ask really specific questions. We continue to check in with the Lord on that. Because by the way, whatever boundary the Lord might set for your relationship right now, that might change in six months. And then it might change uh, six months after that again. This is a really critical thing to develop at this point in your life. Not, 
not just so that you can figure out how far do I need to physically go with this person that I'm going on dates with. That's an important question, but because this is going to be an important thing for your marriage one day. It's going to be an important thing for the rest of your life that you know how to take decisions to Jesus and you know how to get, uh, you know how to follow where he's leading you on these things. It's a really, really good uh, set of parameters for us to think through there. And Jed, I think the thing I would like us to add to this conversation, uh, part of the really good uh, conversing and listening with the Lord that Lee gave us there is conversing and listening within the relationship. Yeah. Because one of the one of the misconceptions I think we see a lot, as Glenn pointed out, and it certainly is being manifest in this question, is this idea of all these boundaries as a set it and forget it kind of thing. Yep. yep. And this does need to be an ongoing thing, which, as Lee points out, I don't. I'm, I'm not married. I know the three of you are. I have a feeling there's not a lot of things that you only talk about once and never talk about again yeah. in a healthy relationship. That's so this right. may be a good place to start that, right? No doubt. No doubt. I agree with everything that Lee said and everything that Glenn said. But let's take a look at a very slightly different, pic- uh, different part of this. One of the weird things about the Christian life is that a godly person takes control of their life so that they can give it over to God. Um, a, a godly person is active in managing their life, again, so that they can give that control to God. It's very hard to give control to God when you are in a reactive state in your life and life is just happening to you. So in order to do that, you kind of have to chart what you want in your life, what you believe in, what you want to pursue, what you feel comfortable with. We talked in the last question about left and right limits. Let's do that here as well. Um, Something that you will not hear very many people say, but it's totally true, is the Bible prohibits, um, forgive my bluntness here, penetrative vaginal intercourse between two people who are not married, the kind that makes babies. It prohibits that. It's fairly silent on everything that isn't that. That's that's kind of where it lands. Um, So that's one hard limit in one direction. And just... From experience, I can tell you a relationship where there is no physical affection of any kind, for most people, would be pretty wildly unhealthy. Um, yeah. So you got a huge space in between there um, of stuff that would all be within the bounds of of what is what is biblical. So my question to you is, what are you comfortable with? What what do you if God came to you and said, "Hey, the Bible says anything short of this, you know, is just silent." So I'll support whatever you want to do. What are you comfortable with? What do you want to see happen here? And if you're comfortable with where things are at currently, then what's the problem? Um, if you feel good about it and your uh, partner feels good about it, and it's within the bounds of of uh, what God has said, it's fine. Rock and roll. If you're not comfortable with it, and I assume you're not, because that's why you're you're writing into us, then my question back to you is, are you and your partner talking about this? Are you right. guys having a conversation about this? And if you're not, why not? What's What's standing in the way of that? I think one of the things that Christian culture tells us, which really causes us a lot of problems, is figure out what's right and wrong. Always do what's right and never do what's wrong, and then everything will work out. The problem is nearly everything in life is shades of gray, man. Um, that's, that's how stuff works. Like we're saying here, the Bible prohibits something in regards to premarital sex, and it definitely does. So a lot of stuff it just doesn't say anything about. So how do you know if you're doing it right? 
You know, how do you, uh, how do you know? How do you, how do you uh, make that determination? And I think that leaves us a lot of people in a place where they feel perpetually uncomfortable. They feel perpetually unmoored. They feel perpetually unsure of themselves. That's not good. Uh, and I don't think that's the Lord's will for you. And it's, it's not an emotionally healthy place to be. Talk with your partner. Sit down together and figure out what do we want this relationship to be. Advice that Glenn often gives, and it's really good advice, is rather than asking how bad can this be, how far can we go and get away with it, ask how good can this be? How strong and deep of a relationship can this be? To be clear, that's not co-equal with how chaste of a relationship can this be. That's a different thing. What I'm talking about is how... How do we make this a relationship that supports both of us the absolute most? How do we go maximum depth in being there for each other and encouraging each other and building each other and lifting each other up? Physical affection is going to be a part of that. Exactly what that looks like for the two of you is something for you to talk about. Yes, to pray about. Absolutely. To listen to the Lord on. Absolutely. And also to talk about together as a couple. Here's the thing. If you will both go and pray about it and listen to the Lord, and if you'll talk about it, and if you'll wrestle with it, it's not that you'll get it perfectly right. You won't. Nobody does. But you will be moving it in a good direction, and you will be moving it in a direction that you will feel good about. You'll be moving it in a direction that will be increasing in how healthy it is, and all of this will be perfect and really important preparation for the same conversations you're going to need to have when you're married, where you have a million things where what the Bible says is a pretty wide range of, of what you know, could be okay. So we need some direct wisdom from the Lord that we get through prayer. And then we need a lot of talking to each other and hashing things out in the context of that relationship. That is really, really sharp stuff. And it ties in exactly with what Lee was saying there, because um, that conversation between two people in this particular instance is a great place to get where you both are coming from. Then you do need to factor in what God says specifically about this situation is it's, as Jed said, so the Bible says not with the making babies part, but it's pretty silent and everything else. So you and your partner may look at that and say, well, turns out we're comfortable with quite a lot. Sure. And you may go to Lord on that and get the brain of, ah, rein it in a little bit off that. That may but, not be the best fit for the two of you. Yeah, absolutely. Now, as as we as Glenn, we pointed out, as Glenn says, and this uh, part of the conversation doesn't get nearly as much airtime as the other one, you may also say, well, we, we're not comfortable. We're, we're just on the super size of the couch. And the Lord's input to that may be, you need to push through some discomfort and grow mm. into this relationship. So, again, this is looking for the, the get-tos, not the have-tos, as Glenn would, Glenn would say about this. But this is, the, the, again, there's, uh, there's, no, um, there's nothing necessarily righteous about just, well, there's no rule against it, off to the races. Nor right. is there anything righteous against, well, there's no rule against it, we should probably not do it anyway. <laughs> Right. I think that, that if I add one more thing to this discussion is that there's a, a th- way of thinking. We're not putting this on the person or in question because it's very prevalent. We see it a lot, and I know where you got it. This idea of, well, th- the Bible is silent on this, as Jed says, but we can safely infer by taking what the Bible does say and just kind of stretching that. So the Bible says don't have sex with someone until you're married to them. So it only makes sense to not kiss someone until you're in an exclusive dating relationship with them. Right. Because like kissing is the level below sex and committed dating relationship is the level below marriage. The problem is none of those second things are in the Bible. Like at all. Yes. Like the concept of boyfriend, girlfriend going steady does not come up in scripture. That's, that's a cultural thing. So the idea of, well, if I kiss this person and they're my boyfriend, that's cool. But if I kissed him and I wasn't 
that we weren't like official, that would somehow be scandalous. That's all cultural stuff. Now it might be true. God might be putting into, I'd like there to be some commitment and some, you're going out here before other stuff happens. That's totally cool. But these ideas of there are these kind of checkpoints and I can stretch what the Bible does say into these other areas. And it just kind of goes is an A to B correlation is a type of legalistic thinking that we all fall prey to. And there's a lot of out there. So it's worth it. It's like this being able to think through that and realize what you're, what we're trying to make fit into this and why that may not be the best idea. All right. If you have a question for us, say that podcast, gmail.com, the bridge, Chicago.tumblr.com. We're out the song. This is our latest live bridge recording. This is one of Jed's, Worship song is called Four Good Reasons, led very yeah. recently at the bridge, Ooh. mixed by a friend of ours down there in Nashville. All great stuff. And to have that, thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you do about it. Let's say that podcast, reminding our listeners that the new Arby's traditional gyro is the best Greek food there is. <laughs> this just in, I'm being told that it isn't. <laughs> oh, that's great. Clapping. I love that. Let's try this together now. I got four good reasons. sound great now let's try it again i got four good races to believe from the scars on his hands to the scars on his feet i got four good races to believe nice let's try this course now one jesus loves me two jesus loves me three jesus loves me for god so loved me one jesus loves me two jesus loves me Jesus loves me for God so loved me. Oh, you did it. That's the whole song. You got it. All right, now, take it from the top. Like we mean it, as you can. I got four good races to believe. From the scars on his hands to the scars on his face. I got four good races to believe. One, Jesus loves me. Two, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me, for God so loved me. One, Jesus loves me. Two, Jesus loves me. Three, Jesus loves me, for God so loved me. Oh, that's good. That's good. All right, now, we're doing one more time from the top. Here's what we're going to do. Give me a little bit more boom on those claps. A little bit more now. All right. All right. Now, when we get to that chorus, we're going to say those numbers as loud as we possibly can. Can you all help me out with that? I'm unconvinced. Could the rest of y'all help me out with that? Loves me, three. Jesus loves me, for God so loved me. One, Jesus loves me, two, Jesus loves me, three. Jesus loves me, for God so loved me.